Well, to Pastor John and Mandri and uh, Andrew and the family and the pastors and staff of the church, we're just deeply honored to be here this morning. And what a joy it is uh, to reconnect, and uh, it's been a delight. Thank you so much for your gracious hospitality. And I was going to say, I see a lot of uh, old faces, but that would be an insult. But <laughs> let me just say, there's a lot of people that are that are fond, uh, bring fond memories to us, and it's great to be here. Thank you for uh, opening your hearts to us. I really wanted to, Michelle and I have for some years, uh, the Lord has released us to travel in the nations, and we travel to many churches and minister in, in a lot of different ways, context, and we uh, get used to seeing different styles of church in different ways. And for about eight years now, it's been brewing in my heart that I wanted to come back to Sister Pal and honor her for the investment that she and Pastor Ed made in our life. Wish, thank you. Because, yeah, no. Let me, let me tell you something about what you may not know. Because when you live in a house, you get accustomed. You think this is normal. You think that this is normal. I remember, many of you will remember back into the, the Anderson Street days. I, I used to come at 4.30 in the afternoon and they'd unlock the church door because the service was at 6 o'clock at night. And there'd be a line at 4.30 in the afternoon outside the doors. And we'd go in and keep seats because it only held 15 or 1,800 seats. And we'd, and we'd keep seats. And then uh, Sister Powell would come out about an hour before the meeting. And she would just begin to play on the organ. And then the presence of God would fill the room. How many of you were there in those days? Can I just see? So you know what I'm talking about. And the presence of God. And I remember sitting weeping. And you'd look around and there'd be 300 people weeping in the church. Just as the presence of God began to just come down. And I, you know, because I was born into that. I was born again into that. And I thought, well, that's the way churches are. And then you travel the world. And then you realize that's not the way churches are. And um, as we've been traveling, we've met some key leaders in the nations and people who are doing what God wants. And in discussion with them, they find out that we had our beginnings at Hatfield. And then they go, oh, I came to Hatfield. I'm, I, I, and, and I can see there's a mark that was left in some key leaders around the world by just sometimes even one encounter, just one service. But I wanted to take a moment to, to honor Sister Pal because I believe she's a friend of God and, and intimate with God. And um, Something of lust in my bones is to see the Lord worshipped. That's like a lust in my bones. And I believe I caught it from you. And I honor you. And thank you. seriously believe we came all this way to say that. The rest of this is for free. <laughs> I want to I preach a word called reassigning desolate inheritances because it's part of the call of God on Michelle in my life. I don't know if you've ever met somebody. If you'd excuse me, I need to change gears. I, need, I, got, I got this much to say in this much time. So this is going to be a contact sport the next 20 minutes. Okay, You have to listen quick so I can talk quick. Is that fine? So I'm not going to be all nice and say the gracious things. You're going to have to add grace because I've got to get through this. Is that fine? 
Have you ever met somebody who is like effervescent and everything's amazing? And I'm awesome. It's darling, it's, it's gorgeous. It's amazing. It's understand. It's divine. You go, no, it's, it's, it's just a muffin. You know, it's not. <laughs> you ever met someone like that? And they use superlatives all the time. And if they always like that, you, get, you, you sort of de- develop a tolerance because they, oh, it was a, how was the meeting? Oh, it was a never before. Oh, it was so you learn to divide by f- two or five or whatever, you know, because you, you, get, you get a sense of it. But what happens when God speaks like that? Do you know there, there, was, there are some superlatives the Holy Spirit begins to use whenever he starts talking about a specific topic, and he goes into superlative overdrive. He doesn't just call it something, he, he just adds superlatives behind it. And it always intrigued me at what would God get that effervescent about? What would impress the Spirit of God that much? When he speaks about this, he, gets, he, he starts to talk in superlatives. And so I'm going to read to you uh, just some of these superlatives. They're not, it's not an exhaustive list by any means, but I want you to capture just some of the nutrient of this truth because whenever the Holy Spirit begins to speak about the uh, inheritance that Jesus died to supply you, whenever the Holy Spirit speaks about your inheritance, He goes into superlative overdrive. Let me prove it to you. 1 Peter 1.8, you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Romans 2, for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience. Ephesians 1, his incomparably great power for us who believe. Romans 9, the riches of his glory. Romans 11, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Ephesians 1, the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. It's Ephesians 2, the incomparable riches of his grace. Ephesians 3, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Philippians 4, the glorious riches of Christ. Colossians 1, the glorious riches of this mystery. 2 Corinthians 3, the surpassing glory. 2 Corinthians 4, the all-surpassing power. 2 Corinthians 9, the surpassing grace. Ephesians 1, the rich of this glorious inheritance. Romans 8, the glorious freedom, and Ephesians 1, the glorious grace. You guys are way too calm (laughs) to have sat through that and go, oh, that's nice, give me some more. (laughs) I want you to imagine that a lawyer calls you from somewhere in Europe and says, your uncle Edgar died you go, I never knew I had an Uncle Edgar. He said, no, we've checked the records. You are the nearest living relative, and we'd like you to fly over for the reading of the will. He's left everything to you. And so you say to the lawyer, look, what's in the will? He says, I can't discuss that. So you're worried that he might have collected moths or, you know, something. <laughs> He's going to leave me his stamp collection, and it's going to cost me, you know, thousands of rands to get there and... and, and so you say to the lawyer, look, is it going to be worth my while? And the lawyer says to you, look, I can't give you the specific details, but I can tell you that it is the incomparable riches of a glorious inheritance. Would you buy the ticket? <laughs> Ephesians 1, I pray, this is the apostolic heart for us, for the church. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. 
and the riches of a glorious inheritance in the saints and the incomparably great power for us who believe. When the Holy Spirit talks about your inheritance, he calls it that. The riches of a glorious inheritance and an incomparably great power. And the church goes, ah, I'll think about it tomorrow. I want you to know that you have been qualified by the Lord Jesus Christ. And through his sacrifice on the cross to share in this inheritance. And God the Father has qualified you. The, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, you were qualified to share this inheritance. Colossians 1, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the light. There's this interesting principle in Hebrews that talks about the heroes of faith, people who lived under the law and they trusted God and they saw great exploits. I love the phrase, and the world was not worthy of them. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, beaten, and ill-treated, and the world was not worthy of them. But it says in Hebrews 11, all of these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And then you drop down to verse 39. He says, For all of these were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. I want you to understand that God said in Jeremiah 31, the day is coming, I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. God said, I found fault with that covenant, the Ten Commandments that required human nature's obedience. And so while the law was perfect and beautiful in every way, it required human nature to stand in support. And Galatians says what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. And God said, I'm not going to make the covenant, the new covenant, like the old covenant. The old covenant leaned on your effort, but the new covenant is going to lean on Jesus' effort. Amen. Amen. And so while the Old Testament people lived by faith, it was revealed to them that they could not share the inheritance until Jesus came. It says it was revealed to them was revealed to them that only together with us would they be made perfect. And so in Hebrews 9, it says, For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised inheritance. Do you get the sense that God is interested in your inheritance? Do you get the sense that He's more interested than you? See, I hope that after this message, no longer. I hope you're interested in the inheritance that Jesus died to secure for you. An inheritance is not something that you work for. An inheritance is something that somebody else works for, and you get it when they die. Think about that. You don't work for inheritance. You honor for inheritance. The first command with a promise, honor your father and mother, it may go well with you in the land of your inheritance. The Bible says Jesus died for a new covenant. And in the new covenant, 
you can receive. All of those people died not having received, but in the new covenant, you get to receive your inheritance. How many of you are up for that? Sign me up for that. And so Hebrews 9 says, in the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it. Because a will is only enforced when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. The testator has to die. And when the testator dies, the, 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 the will is released, it's executed from that point onwards. And so it was necessary for Jesus to die to execute your inheritance. You, you know that you're a co-heir with Jesus Christ. You know this, right? All things were created by him and for him, and in him all things hold together. He is before all things, Scripture says. And all things are sustained by his powerful word. You were created to share the inheritance that Jesus earned. You are a co-heir with Jesus. You are an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. Hello? So I want to talk to you about, just very briefly, the, the eternal, all-encompassing, once-for-all offering that Jesus made. Let me read that again. The eternal, all-encompassing, once-for-all offering. Four times in the book of Hebrews, this phrase is used once for all. Once for all. And so I want to just look at that briefly because it, it gives us a little bit of an aspect, a different picture of what Jesus did on the cross. And it's necessary for the church to have a very clear picture of what Jesus did on the cross because it emboldens us to reach in and expect an inheritance from our Father. So I want to embolden you because at the end of this meeting, we're going to stand up and with a shameless audacity, we're going to reach in and grab our inheritance and claim it. Is that good? It's going to get fun in this church in just a little while. So the Bible talks about Jesus in Hebrews 7, the first aspect of this when it uses once and for all as the perfect high priest. See, every time in the old covenant, Aaron was appointed as a high priest, but Aaron had to make sacrifices on the day of atonement for his own sins because he was just a man and he was subject to weaknesses and death. And so when Aaron died, a new high priest was set up and God kept the honor of the appointment of the high priest for himself. You couldn't choose to be a high priest on your own. God had to appoint you. And so this concept of a, of a high priest, and, and so the high priest, uh, the night before the Day of Atonement, very often would stay awake all night, and people would read him scriptures because they were scared that he had bad dreams in the night. They, they were just really worried. And that he would dress in certain garments, and he'd, he'd dress and undress multiple times during the day because he had to come out and sh in, in his high priestly robes in front of the people, and then he'd go back in behind the curtain and dress in, in the robes of a priest to go in and, and offer the blood. Then he'd wash again, dress in the robes, come out, bless the people, go back in, change again, go sacrifice more blood. He went on and on like this all day, and the people were desperate because the whole nation would mourn and repent and stand outside and, and wait for the high priest to go make atonement so that one more year when the high priest put the blood on the mercy seat, for one more year and he came out, there was the, that the sins of the nation were covered. But the Bible says in Hebrews 7, such a high priest meets our needs. Not one, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike other high priests, 
He does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect. What he's talking about is that Jesus received an oath from his father in the eternal covenant when Jesus said, Father, I'll go. Not only, not only will I be the creator of all things, but I will be the redeemer of all things. If people who I create sin, I will take full responsibility and bear the guilt of all their sin. That, that was established in the covenant before time began because Paul said this grace was given to me before time began. And Jesus is proclaimed as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This was already established in the Godhead. And so when Jesus was, before time began, before you were born, Jesus was already set aside to be the lamb, take away the sins of the world. But when Jesus made that vow to his father, I will go, father, and pay for all their sins. The father said, this two oaths the father gave him, I'll never let you see decay. If you, if you die, I'll, I won't, I'll raise you. And the second thing he said to Jesus, you will be a priest forever. You of the high priest for all eternity. And armed with that oath, Jesus said, I'll go, Father. And the Holy Spirit said, Jesus, if you'll go and die and pay for their sins, I'll go live in them and train them and teach them and draw them to you. And that covenant was cut in eternity before time began. And then God said, let there be light and began to create. And this was established before time began. And so you have, you are represented not by a man-made high priest who's subject to weakness. You are represented by a perfect high priest. The one, the only one appointed in eternity by God the Father to be the high priest, to represent men to God. And he ever lives and by his life makes intercession for you. So the perfect high priest went into the perfect tabernacle. It's the second time it uses the phrase once and for all. But when Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. And the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who were ceremonially unclean sanctify them so they're outwardly clean. The Bible says that the, that the eternal high priest did not go into the tabernacle that Moses had built. He didn't go into the tabernacle Solomon built. No, he went into the perfect tabernacle, the one that was not cut by human hands, the perfect tabernacle in heaven. He went into the most holy place. The perfect high priest went into the perfect temple because he needed to make a one sacrifice for all the sins of all mankind. For all time. For one sacrifice to be that all encompassing, it had to be perfect. If it was imperfect in any way, it would have to be repeated. The Bible says of our high priest that when he had sacrificed for sins of all, for all time, he sat down, meaning his job is finished. He sat down next to the right hand of the majesty in heaven, and now he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool by the church. <laughs> Third time it uses the phrase once for all, it talks about perfect blood. 
Hebrews 9. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year, with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but he has appeared once for all, at the culmination of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. The perfect high priest went into the perfect tabernacle with the perfect blood. He was the lamb appointed before time began. He was the only, that blood was the only blood that God the Father said, I will accept that blood, son, if you give me that blood. And so as uh, Psalm 40 says, sacrifices and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. That body that, that Jesus was uniquely Jesus so that he could live a sinless life and offer that blood. And the scripture calls it the blood of the eternal covenant. Perfect blood. Peter calls it the precious blood of the Lamb. It was not with worthless things like silver or gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, but with the blood, the precious blood of the Lamb. Perfect blood. And over the mercy seat in the, in the most holy place, there were two angels, it's justice and mercy, and they looked down on the mercy seat into the Ark of the Covenant. In the Ark of the Covenant were the testimonies of God's faithfulness and the testimonies of man's unfaithfulness. There was the manna that God provided for his people and against which they grumbled. There was the rod of Aaron, the appointed high priest of God, and the fight that they had, they grumbled against, and they said, we don't want him to be the high priest. And God established him the high priest by a supernatural act of his staff, that was in the ark. The law was put in the ark, the testimony of this is holy and true, and man's incapacity to keep that law. And this justice and mercy looked down into that ark, and justice cried for justice against the sin of mankind, uh, sorry, and righteousness demanded that there should be an accounting because men were found to fall short of the righteousness of God. And only when the blood was applied to the mercy seat were justice and righteousness satisfied for one more year. But when Christ went into the perfect tabernacle, he put the perfect eternal blood of the Lamb on the mercy seat in heaven. And justice and mercy are forever satisfied for anybody who believes in that blood. Praise God. It's so freeing. It's so freeing that it is not by works. You do not access the favor of God or the kindness of God by your works, but by the works of our King Jesus. And when you believed, the Holy Spirit took you and baptized you into the body of Christ. You were submerged into the body of Christ, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. For you died, the old you dead, cut away, not with the hands of men, but by the Spirit of God, by the hands of Christ. The old you dead and gone, the new you created to be like God, hidden in Christ. You are now in Christ. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Paul said, since I have been justified, I have peace with God through my Lord Jesus Christ. What a beautiful freedom this is, friends. What a glorious inheritance. The fourth time, 
called it the perfect sacrifice. The perfect high priest, perfect tabernacle, perfect blood, perfect sacrifice. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. But the once for all sacrifice can make you perfect forever. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all. And would have no longer felt guilty for their sins. Jesus said, Hebrews 10, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. The body of Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. It embodies the burnt offering, the guilt offering, the sin offering. The embodiment of Jesus paid for every single offering that was the shadow in the old covenant bar one. The only offering that is left to the people of God now is called the free will offering. It was the only of the offerings that, that did not require a perfect lamb. Every other offering required a spotless lamb without blemish, but a free will offering, you could bring whatever you had. And the free will offering was not an expiation of sin. It was just an expression of devotion to God. It was just a way to say, hey, I'd like to connect God. And that's still available to you and me. You know what? It doesn't have to be perfect. Praise God. Every perfect offering that was required was in the body of Jesus. The perfect high priest went into the perfect tabernacle with the eternal blood and with a perfect sacrifice. And because everything was perfect and it was eternal, God accepted it as a once for all enough. Don't let anybody tell you that your and my feeble efforts can add to that finished perfect work. Jesus, our Savior, came, lived a perfect life, sinless. And he came to Gethsemane, and he looked and he knew what lay ahead. And he said, Father, isn't there another way? And he knew, there's no one else. Can we resurrect Moses maybe and give him a shot? Maybe we can. But Jesus was the only begotten. He was the only creator. He was the only redeemer. He was the only eternal high priest. He was the only one who was sinless. Jesus knew all of that. And he said, not my will, Father, what you want. And they led him out, and they nailed him to a cross. And I think if we, could, if we could picture what actually was going on, I think you'd see from that centurion who just drove the nails into his hand, Jesus on the cross, and God began to draw the sin and the brokenness and the shame from that man and sucked it into the body of Jesus. And for the man who just won his jacket by gambling, God sucked that sin and brokenness. And then all around Jerusalem, the sin of mankind began to be dragged into the body of Jesus. And then all around the world in that age, God began to draw 
draw sin and brokenness. And then God reached back in time from Adam onwards and began to draw all the sin, everything that had angered him, into the body of Jesus. And then he reached forward into time into everybody who would yet live. And he sucked all of their sin and shame and brokenness into the body of Jesus. Because Isaiah 53, as Fritz read it earlier today, for we like sheep have gone astray, each of us to his own way, but God has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And God took the sin and the brokenness and the shame and he drew it into the body of Jesus and then the wrath of God was spent against Jesus. The Bible says in four places, he is the propitiation of our sins, the atoning sacrifice, that sacrifice that absorbs the just wrath of God against sin. And God did not look away from every one of your sins. No, he looked upon them, but he punished Jesus for them. And the full wrath of God, the full anger of God, the full cursing of God for your sin, your shame, your brokenness and mine. He spent against Jesus. And the Bible says for three hours it went dark as the wrath of God hammered Jesus again and again for our sin. And at the end of that, the sacrifice was still greater than the wrath. In the Old Testament, Elijah, remember, he gave the sacrifice and then he poured water on it and then they called on heaven and the fire came down and consumed not only the sacrifice but the altar, the stones, the water. Under the Old Covenant, the wrath was greater than the sacrifice. Under this New Covenant, in Jesus, sacrifice was greater than the wrath. Jesus still alive. And it was three o'clock in the afternoon. And in Jerusalem, the ram's horn began to blow because it was the Passover. And at the ninth hour, the ram's horn blew. And all around Jerusalem, people began to sacrifice the lamb that they were to eat that night. And the ram's horn blew. It's time to kill the lamb. And on a hill just outside the city, the lamb of God said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he died. And the earth began to shake. And in the temple, God leaned into the tabernacle and took the curtain and said, we don't need this anymore. A new way has been made. Now, this is where I wanted to get to, and I've got four minutes to pray. Jesus, when they said, Jesus, could you teach us how to pray? He's he gave this, you know, the Lord's Prayer we know. What you don't know is the Lord's Prayer was in the imperative mood in the Greek. That's not pleading, that's not hoping, that's not asking, that's commanding. Hello? Jesus didn't say, oh Lord, please, I hope your kingdom comes. Jesus said, kingdom come. That's how Jesus told them to pray. Then, if you know that. Then Jesus told them this parable. He's still teaching them how to pray. And you can go look it up. It's Luke 11:5. He said, a certain man came and he knocked on his neighbor's door. He says, listen, can you give me some food? Because the guy's coming. I don't have any food in my house. And the guy said, leave me alone. It's late at night. It's past 12, man. Go to bed. And so he just knocked on the door. Hey, I need some food. He goes, listen, I told you already. Go away, man. Hey, I need some food. He says, listen, I mean, I don't know how, what part of no did, was unclear. I mean, I, no. Hey. Now the neighbor's lights are going on. Hey, I need some food, man. 
So listen, my kids are asleep. You wake my kids. Go away. What? Hey, I need some food. Now they're calling police. Hey, I need some food. Jesus said, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity. And I, and I, I want to just capture the end of this. Shameless audacity is what you pray with when you understand that your favor with God is not dependent on you, but on Jesus. Shameless audacity is what you pray with when you begin to ask for God for more than you know you deserve because you believe that you are a co-heir of the inheritance that Jesus deserves. And so shameless audacity is what Jesus taught his disciples to pray with. Shameless audacity only comes from those who understand the new covenant and who understand, I have to ask for more than I deserve. I have to ask for bigger than I can achieve. I ask what Jesus achieved, and so I come with a shameless audacity, and I dare to ask God for massive things that I know I don't deserve. But I ask it not in my name. I ask it in Jesus' name. I had a whole bunch of scriptures, but you can get them. We're going to pray now. So I want to just ask. I want to pray for four, five things. I want to pray for some people in this room, and you know you need salvation for your family, your friends, or your colleagues. Some of you need restored relationships. There's broken, there's fractured relationships. Part of your inheritance. Some of you need financial provision. I wish I could tell you story. We have seen miracles. I'm telling you, I kid you not. This, there's a life. Watch, watch. Healing, physical, emotional, and spiritual healing. And fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Some people go, oh, I just, I've lost touch. I'm going to pray for those five areas. We've got one minute. But if you just reach out your faith, I dare you, I challenge you to pray with a shameless audacity. In Jesus' name, not in yours. Jesus didn't say, when you pray in your name, the Father will give you whatever you want. He said, when you pray in my name. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We don't come in our own, Lord. We don't come by our own effort. We don't come by our own sacrifice. We don't come by our own sweat and blood. We come by His blood, by His sacrifice, by His ministry. And Lord, in Jesus' name, we pray for salvations for family, friends, and colleagues. I pray across this room, Lord, for the supernatural breakthrough of salvations. I pray, Lord, for supernatural breakthroughs of fractured relationships restored instantly, instantly, all over this place. Lord, I release financial miracles right now. Watch this. I have an anointing for this. I release financial miracles. If that's you, just reach for it. I release it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Breakthroughs in Jesus' name. Jobs and new jobs, supernatural provisions, supernatural this week, Lord. Explode them across this place. And Father, I thank you for healings. I release physical, emotional, and spiritual healing and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Father, we don't stand here because we believe in ourselves. We stand here, Lord, delighted to believe in the beautiful Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Come on.